You are listening to highlights from the Creative Process interview with Dr. John Joe McFadden, microgenetic expert and the author of Life Is Simple. This podcast is supported by the Yemashowski Foundation. So your book, Life Is Simple, it's really an elegant idea: the survival of the simplest. You know, just help us understand how life emerged by embracing maximal simplicity. Essentially, what the thesis of the book is that science is really about finding simple solutions, and I guess one of the other themes of the book is that life appears like a scientist; it finds the simplest solutions to problems, and that's because there's a mechanism in natural selection whereby stuff that is necessary gets removed by mutations. We lose stuff that is no longer useful for us, like tails, for example. We our ancestors had tails. And we don't because natural selection tends to go for simple solutions, and that's really where what's made natural selection so successful, and it's also what makes science so successful too. Indeed, and it's also true. Simplicity is hard to get to that elegance. It's hard. Just give us a little bit of a background of William of Ockham and the environment. Part one of your book, it gives that whole background of the intellectual climate. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the things that's always puzzled me is why did why did science start in the West? It could have started in so many other places. In China, it was much more advanced than the West at the time. So was the Middle East, the Arab speaking countries, and yet science came from the West. I think William Wacom played a role in that, but it was a role to bring science out of the model of philosophy, theology. And religion, really, that prevailed throughout the world as well as the West. And really, when you set out to explain something, such as say the moon going around the Earth or the sun going around the Earth or the planets moving in various ways, the standard method was just to overcomplicate things, to make things as complex as possible. You put a god out there to push the sun around the sky in his fiery chariot. You put the moon goddess there to move the moon, and if you want to explain where the wind comes from, it's some giant blowing from a mountain somewhere. If you wanted to explain how sickness comes, you just say where、well, some evil spirit that infects people. So there was no attempt to really try to rationalise stuff. The usual approach was if you found something you didn't really understand, you invented a new entity to account for it. Now, William of Ockham was a theologian, really, but he's also to being a logician. He worked with logic, and he went to study theology at the University of Oxford. He had an uncertain history. We don't really know anything about his childhood, other than he was given to the Franciscans, which gives you a clue. He might have been an abandoned child, an orphan child, an illegitimate child, and just left at the monastery. So we don't really know anything much about his early life, but we do know he went to Oxford to study theology. And to give you a feeling for what the problem was, really, theology was at that time called the queen of sciences, and that's because the way that people thought about the world is that theology, religion, metaphysics were all one. So yes, they had gods or angels in the sky pushing the heavenly bodies, and they had those spirits on earth causing plagues and stuff, and it was all one place. Everything was one place. But with lots and lots of entities, and part of this, and also part of the reason for why it was called a science, is that Thomas Aquinas, a century earlier, another great theologian, 
had incorporated Aristotle's philosophy into Christian theology and come up with what he called theology as a science, in which he, for example, supposedly used Aristotle's science to prove the existence of God in five different ways. So that meant that when a theologian went to study at Oxford or Paris or any of the other great European universities, they studied questions, what are the gates of heaven made of? And whether angels can exist in the same place or not, can they exist in many places? They studied these questions like scientific questions. So there wasn't really a a difference between science and religion and philosophy and, and theology. William of Ockham came along and said, no, this is all nonsense. They just waved his razor through everything and said, if you don't require an entity to explain something, throw it out. And he got rid of a lot of the metaphysics. He disproved all of Aristotle's, all of Aquinas' proofs of God, which for Franciscan friars is a very radical thing to do. And he insisted at the end that there was a big difference between science and religion or theology. Science, he said, was based on reason and always finding the simplest solution. Religion was based on faith, and it had no allegiance to the simplest solutions. You could affect as many things as you like in religion. And as far as we know, he remained devout throughout his life, but he separated science from religion. The only time that's happened in the world was then. It did not happen in the Arabic world. It did not happen in the Chinese world. It did not happen in other systems of thought. It happened once. So William Rocker was the first person to say it. And I think that's remarkable. And it's remarkable that we don't really appreciate him for that. He insisted on that and was charged of heresy. He had to go and answer charges before the Pope in Avignon. He ended up calling the Pope a heretic. So he had to flee Avignon, chased by a posse of papal soldiers and was rescued by the Holy Roman Emperor at the time. So he has an interesting history in his own right. And he seems like an interesting person. The more I found out about him, the more I became fascinating with this almost completely unknown guy. But the thing he's most known for today is this razor. He established the principle that in science, you always go for the simplest solution. And throughout science through the ages, that's what scientists have done, or at least the good scientists, the really famous scientists like Galileo, Copernicus, Newton, that's what they've done. They've gone for simplifications, and that's really how science has worked through the ages. As you consider your work and you think about the future and education and the kind of world that we're leaving the next generation, what have been some important life lessons and teachers for you, and what would you like young people to know, preserve, and remember? I think for me, the most important thing is to get multiple streams of information. As I was describing with consciousness and the great ideas, they come in from listening to lots of different stuff. And I think the great danger, one of the great dangers in our world today is that the the media that we have created is allowing this self-fulfillment of ideas, that people are going into their own social networks that are feeding back to them the ideas that they already have and they're not listening to other stuff and people are becoming more and more polarized. I think that's a real problem. And I think what religion and art and science and to a sense that even religion as well as we take a broad view of religion and look at other people's religions as well, they, what they do is you accept anything. You don't deny anything. You accept everything at least to look at it and to consider it. 
and to evaluate it and to weigh it up with your own ideas. And I think too much is happening in the world today where people are being, to a certain extent, it's always happened. People who are conservative say in the UK, they buy particular newspapers. The Telegraph, for example, is the most conservative newspaper. You buy more liberal and you buy the Guardian. So that's always happened to a certain extent. But now with social media, it's happening to a dangerous extent, I think, in which people are only seeing the ideas that they're reflecting their own ideas back at them because that's how advertising is generating revenue on platforms. And I think that's a danger of us all getting into our own areas in which we feel comfortable with anything out there is alien and therefore something to be fought against. And I think that's really the antipathy of the kind of world that I was hoping it would living in the future where everyone is accepting, everyone is trying to understand each other, and yet people are wrapping themselves up in their own little nest of ideas. And I think people need to break open out of the nests and read lots of different stuff, listen to lots of different people, hear lots of opinions, and then I think they'll come to a more broad understanding of each other. And this is what we need in, in, in our world to understand each other. And I think the work of science, the work of artists, the work of writers should be directed towards gaining understanding, even of the people who are your enemies. Why are they thinking the way they are? And if we just label them in that medieval way as just demons, as people who are evil, people who are wrong, then we'll never come to a kind of level of understanding. And I think that's really what we need to try to do to open our minds to other ideas and understand, trying to understand why people do terrible things often. And one of the, one of the great films I've watched and I remember watching is back, it's a film called Battle for Algiers. I don't know who made it, but it's a beautiful film. It's got great music as well in it. And it takes you into the mind of, say, a young woman, a young Arabic woman at the time, who puts a bomb into a bar full of teenagers. And you were sympathetic to her. And I think that's really what we need to try to do to open our minds to other ideas and trying to understand why people do terrible things often. And one of the great films I've watched and I remember watching is back, it's a film called Battle for Algiers. I don't know who made it, but it's a beautiful film. And this is what William Robotham did in the 13th century. He broke down barriers and said, there's no, okay, Anyone can do science. You can have your own ideas, only ideas. There's no right and wrong about things. Just go for the simplest solutions. So, for example, he was very interested in rights as well. And he said, how do you distribute rights? He said, well, everyone has the same rights, simplest solution. We all have the same rights, but food, shelter, not to be imprisoned unfairly. And how do we know what are those natural rights? Because we can all agree on them. We all got in together and said, okay, what do we think on fundamental rights? I want to feed myself. I want to feed my children. I want to have a roof over my head. Let's say that those are the most fundamental rights and build up from that. So I think talking to people, getting to understand them, each other, different perspectives. That's what I think is the greatest thing that education can give us, different perspectives on the world. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.